we've spent some time in a subject that kind of surprised me when I got into it, the Bible seen as a question book. And um, I kind of suspected this, but I didn't realize how profoundly it is true. The questions in the Bible are more provocative and life-changing than the answers in the Bible. And it is surprising to find that that's the way the Lord teaches us. Although it shouldn't be surprising because he made us to ask questions. He gave us minds that are questioning about the environment around us, about the world we live in, about one another and about the meaning of it all. That's what's unique about our being humans. Well, the question we're looking at today really hits me between the eyes. Jesus, toward the end of his life, he showed such supreme power before Pilate, remaining silent while Pilate teased and ridiculed him, while the others called for his crucifixion. That power to remain silent. And the words from the cross so show so much strength when he cared for his mother and his disciples as he was dying. But then comes that awful word. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That word from the cross, the surprising word. Who thought it would come to that? When Jesus the eternal son would say, without satire or underestimation, but truly from his hard experience, that he felt forsaken by the Father. My God, why have you forsaken me? I'm going to read the scripture, Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 50. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, this man is calling for Elijah at once. One of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. I'm not sure why the misunderstanding is recorded in the Bible. Maybe there's a kind of irony there that in this most profound moment, of Jesus' agony on the cross, the crowd didn't get it. They didn't get it. And the original Hebrew is given so that we would see the misunderstanding they had. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And that means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it is a quote from Psalm 22, a familiar psalm in those who regularly attended the worship of the temple. I'm going to read from 
Psalm 22, verse 1. It begins, My God, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. A psalm coming from the heart of a person who feels that they have no defense against life, who feels that they're out of options, who feels desolate and absolutely alone. Why are you so far from me? Not just far, but so far. Now it's interesting that in Psalm 22, right after that expression of being forsaken, there's a reassurance that God does not forsake us. So continuing in verse three, the psalmist says, you, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, in all your ancestors, in, in you all our ancestors trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put and were not put to shame. So it's a reminder of the trustworthiness of God. And in fact, he does not forsake his people, but immediately, in verse six, he flips into the feeling of the moment. And how does he feel? I am a worm and not human, scorned by others, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They sneer at me. They shake their heads. More after this, there's more affirmation in verses 8 to 10, but then again in verse 11, the sense of being lost comes back. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls encircle me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue stick to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Do you think when Jesus was reading this psalm in temple worship that he thought, anticipated how he would feel in this moment? Certainly, as he's feeling in this moment, all those words come back to him. Verse 16, for dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They, bind, they bound my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far away. O oh, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. This is a song of deep spiritual trauma, emptiness. I, I get the sense the person who expressed this in the psalm in that, that moment of being absolutely forsaken 
when God is so far away is suicidal. Why do I even exist? Every, everything in me hurts. Everywhere I turn, there are enemies. That's what it means to be forsaken. My God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever felt that way? You didn't even hesitate. You have felt that way. And Jesus was totally identifying with us when he went through this experience. Being human was not just a play for him. It was not just doing some token things so that he would, we would know that he really identified with what we're going through. He went to the pits. He went to the darkest place. He went to the place of being absolutely forsaken and said to God in that moment, just as you have, if you've even had the strength to cry out, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? The last 10 verses of Psalm 22 again turn to reassurance, to praise to God, and uh, the need to reaffirm that God is there, even if your emotions, your feelings, your experiences tells you he's not there. And that seems to be a pattern in several Psalms. This word forsaken comes up numerous times in the Old Testament and particularly in the Psalms because people who write about their spiritual journey have to talk about the moments when they feel forsaken. And the pattern in the Psalms uh, of, of telling about this feeling and then reinforce it with positive affirmation and then falling back into the feeling and then it happens in several psalms for instance in psalm 38 you see the same pattern listen with verse 1 O lord do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath for your arrows have sunk into me and your hand has come down on me there is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation there is now it, it he is in this position because of life's circumstances. But notice how personal he gets. He feels God is doing this to him. And you felt that too when you're in this pit. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. Verse 4, for my iniquities have gone over my head. They weigh like a burden too heavy for me. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All day long I go around mourning, for my loins are filled with burning. There is no soundness in my flesh. I am utterly spent and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O oh Lord, all my longing is known to you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength falls, fails me. As for the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my affliction, and my neighbors stand far off. How bad can it get? And yet, in verse 12, for the next 10 verses, there's reassurance. We won't read those verses, but he tells himself that God is indeed there. And look at these experiences in the past that prove it. So he reaffirms his faith in God, and then boom, in verse 21, 
Do not forsake me, O Lord. Oh my God, do not be far from me. Oh, make haste to help me, O Lord, of my salvation. You have felt that. And Jesus felt that. One of the most upbeat psalms in the world, uh, in the Bible, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strong, the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? But then, down in verse 9, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. He knows that these times come. You who have been my help, do not cast me off. Do not forsake me. O God of my salvation. If my father and my mother forsake me, Pastor Connie, your father and mother ever forsaken you? Know, they're listening. If my father or mother forsake me. Now that's, that's an extreme being forsaken in the human experience. I mean, if your parents give up on you, who else do you have? Well, the Lord will take me up. That's reassurance. But the feeling of being forsaken is overwhelming in the moment. I, I, I found this throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus was dipping into that well of bitterness and emptiness and despair when he said this word from the cross. My God, why have you forsaken me? I got fascinated with the word forsaken and just looked it up online. This is something I couldn't do in my younger years as a pastor, but it is really fun and I'm making up for lost time. And I bumped into a movie, which I have not seen and really was not aware of, entitled Forsaken. And what is it about? Well, it's a 2015 film starring a father and a son, Donald Sutherland and Kiefer Sutherland playing a father and a son. So I got really curious about it. I had to find out who was forsaken by whom and what all of that meant. And I watched that film, and of course, my wife had to watch it with me. And it's about John Henry, the younger man in the film, uh, coming back home after being years away from his father, whom he felt had forsaken him. And the father, Donald Sutherland, being played by Donald Sutherland, um, is a clergyman. So now I feel on the spot, right? <laughs> but the storyline is that the younger man had felt forsaken since he was a boy. And there were a series of ways in which he had been forsaken. First, the death of his brother and he got the feeling that when his brother died I think it was about nine years old that his father was disappointed that he had died not him and he had held that against his father all these years and then while he was away having run away from home his his mother died that's another way of being forsaken and then he had the woman who was the love of his life, played by Demi Moore. And uh, she had gotten impatient and married somebody else. 
had a son. Forsaken, forsaken, forsaken. But then he tells a story. He meets another man who, like him, had fought in the Civil War. But they had been on opposite sides. And they had both been at the Battle of Shiloh. It's ironic that Shiloh means a place of peace. And this battle, to that point, was the bloodiest of the Civil War. And they had both been there, maybe even aiming guns at one another. As he's talking to this man, the younger son, who had been forsaken by father, mother, girlfriend, said, where was God at Shiloh? There ain't no God. Where was God at Shiloh? That's where he was. I, you know, I got a little crazy, so I did some background on the film. I found out that Donald Sutherland and Kiefer Sutherland, father and son, that was the first major film they'd acted on together. And there was an interview of Kiefer Sullivan on YouTube, the son, talking about it. And it was quite a striking experience for him because after his birth, his father and mother were divorced when he was three or four years old and his father married someone else. He was raised by his mother, forsaken by his father. And he said to the interviewer, he said, you know, the rehearsal that we had on the major scene in this film was the longest I have ever spent with my father. And the interviewer said, you sound a little emotional. I had to go back and watch it again. And he did get kind of teary at that point. Oh, how many levels of forsaken was I viewing? And the interplay between big forsaken, like where is God at Shiloh, and little forsaken, like which son do you love the best, and imagining things that may not be there. Your sense of being forsaken may have valid experiences, maybe not all valid, maybe some of them are projected, but they are lifetime wounds, friends. They are lifetime wounds. Jesus tapped into that when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want to conclude by pointing out three things, two things, well, three things. One, just internalize that, how much Jesus identified with you. He's, he's been there. He's been way beyond there. Wherever you are right now, he's been way beyond. You've never known what he was going through in that moment. And here's why. I got, it flashed through my mind that poem called Footprints. You're familiar with the poem? Now I found out there are several different versions of the poem and I, I went to the one that is supposed to be the original written in 1939 by Mary Stevenson. So I want to give her credit. And the poem says, in this form. 
One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene, I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times, there was one set of footprints. This bothered me because I noticed that during the lowest periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish, the sorrow of defeat, I could see only one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, you promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I have noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there have only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you the most, have you not been there for me? The Lord replied, the times when you have seen only one set of footprints is when I carried you. We don't see that. All we know is the feeling of being forsaken. But we are still here having the feeling. And we are here by God's grace to live another day, to breathe another breath, to have another experience of hope and blessing. And, and then one other thing I want to say. When your friend feels forsaken, there's no way they can change that feeling by themselves. They need to be reminded of those other words of affirmation. When you sense that hopelessness in a friend, it doesn't, you don't have to lead them all the way, but just give them words of reassurance, of hope. Just little tidbits of hope can make the difference. And I found a verse in the Psalm which could have been written by me, Psalm 37, 25. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Help us, Lord. If there's anyone here in the depths, help them to have hope for this minute and relief beyond to a new phase of life. Carry them through the sand and keep them from the waves that can overwhelm them. And help us to be free to admit it when we feel forsaken, when we're not heroic in our faith, because Jesus was there too. My God, why have you forsaken me? Amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.